We've all heard scary stories about leaders and pastors who have infiltrated the church and they abuse their power. They tear churches apart and they cause Christians to stumble. How can we protect ourselves from false teachers? And how can we guard our hearts from false ideas and toxic thoughts? Do you remember what Satan the serpent said in the garden? Satan was talking to Adam and Eve. He caused them to question God's word. Satan said, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of that fruit from the tree? Is that really what God meant? Did God actually say that? Adam and Eve were caught. They were trapped. They couldn't escape this snare of the devil. The devil was the first false teacher. He is the father of lies, and he means to murder you with words. We'll find some help in our passage today about how we can seek to be free from all false teachers and false ideas of this world. Our passage today is 2 Timothy 2, 14-26, so please turn your Bibles there. Take out a notebook so you can take some notes. 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's final letter. He's writing from prison, and Paul is giving his last words to Timothy, a young pastor. And what we'll read today applies to more than just pastors. It's an example and a calling for every Christian to follow. Our text today is going to be a classic compare and contrasting a passage in the Bible. And so what I did was I outlined it for you so you can clearly see what I'm doing. We're going to compare and contrast false teachers with faithful stewards. False teachers with faithful stewards. Uh, Paul will present to us the problem of the false teachers, and then he will tell Timothy to guard against them by being faithful steward. In fact, we're going to see three descriptions or characteristics or qualities of what we would find in a faithful steward of God's word. And that would be sanctified vessels, pure-hearted servants, and skilled workers. And these are the three ways that faithful stewards guard against false teachers. And so I already gave you that outline today. So as you're taking notes, you can still follow along in the outline, but I want you to pay even special attention to the cross-references and the different definitions I'm going to give you throughout the sermon. We begin with the false teachers. So that's our first kind of character that we're going to look at, false teachers. So let's read this passage together. 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 19. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So we begin with the false teachers. Paul tells Timothy to remind and to charge the church the congregation before God, not to quarrel about words. You see, there was a problem in the church. People were contending and bickering and disputing trivial things. And this is referring specifically to getting worked up over words. These quarrels were actually insignificant controversies. They were simply meaningless arguments. Have you ever had an argument with somebody about something so silly like who's the greatest of all time? It's silly. It's meaningless. It won't get anywhere. Sometimes these arguments, they get heated, and they start becoming personal. 
anger starts becoming irrational. Do you see how these quarrels lead to contention? They do no good. They ruin the hearers. These controversies become catastrophes. And this is what the false teachers want. They want to cause division in the church. And when this happens, they destroy and they overthrow and they pervert the faith of God's people. Here's the heart of the false teacher. He's puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and suspicion. You see, these false teachers are puffed up with conceit. They're proud and they're arrogant. They deviate and they wander away from God's word, steering away towards the shallow and the superficial. They say things like, I follow Apollos or I follow Paul, instead of being focused on Jesus. They understand nothing and they have an unhealthy craving for controversy. They want to cause trouble. They want to make the sheep unsure about God's word. And you can see why he, Paul, you can see why Paul would say this. He says, avoid these foolish controversies, these genealogies, these ascensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable. They're worthless. Stay away from them. Don't deal with these dangerous thoughts. Stay away. Don't even associate with them. So that's our first point, is that uh, these false teachers, they quarrel about words. Let's see what else these false teachers do. 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 19. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You see, Timothy is supposed to avoid irreverent babble. This is talk that's godless, it's irreligious, it's profane and worldly, it's irreverent or disrespects what God clearly says is the truth. Have you ever heard someone go on and on? They're just talking about what they think is true, but they don't really have any facts to back it up. They never reference the Bible. That's what Babel is. It's just speaking whatever comes to your mind. It's word vomit. These false teachers, they keep talking, but they're never able to prove their points. It's like using catchphrases or slogans that might sound smart, but they're actually... Uh, deceiving. Discernment would find them deceiving. Speak your truth. My body, my choice. It's phrases like this. They're empty and they're meaningless. False teachers are ravenous wolves. They peddle God's word for their own profits. This has no place in the church. Avoiding irreverent babble means to actively place yourself around it, to get away from it, and to shun it. The reason is clear. It leads to ungodliness, and this type of talk, it spreads like gangrene. Gangrene is a bacterial infection that will pollute your skin, destroys it. It starts and it spreads. It it destroys blood flow. It will affect your arms and your legs, including your toes and your fingers. It can also occur in the muscles and the organs inside your body. And just like this bacterial infection, this bad talk will infect the entire body of Christ if you allow it to creep in and spread. 
It will swerve you from the faith. And look at what happened to this guy Hymenius. Look at what happened to this guy Hymenius. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience by rejecting. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. He made shipwreck of it. Among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. This is serious. Those who stir up division with their irreverent babble are warped. They're sinful and self-condemned, as you can see in the second verse down below. What exactly were Hymenius and Philetus quarreling about? They believed that the resurrection had already happened. Paul had encountered the same problem and preached against it in 1 Corinthians. And Paul tells Timothy to combat this. You combat false lies with the truth. Timothy is to present himself as one approved, that is, after being tested, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, we'll come back to that later, okay, rightly handling the word of truth. But what I want you to see and what I want you to know right now is that Paul is confident in the face of false teachers. He says that the church is a firm foundation that will stand and it is sealed because the Lord knows those who are his. For everyone who names the name of the Lord Depart from iniquity. And that's a reference to number 16, where God's judgment came on the corrupt. Paul says that God knows whose are his, and he will keep them safe. So in this dangerous and deadly situation, Paul still has hope. He's not scared. He's not afraid. What type of talk, conversations, and quarrels, and controversies do you find yourself in? What type of worldviews do you expose yourself to? We live in Southern California, Hollywood, Los Angeles. There are landmarks here. Our culture does not believe in personal sin or the authority of God's word. Take a close look at your heart. Have you given in to any cultural narratives? Do you believe that a good life is all about making the most money? Do you believe that you need to find fame and popularity in order to have a good life and you can only experience the rich and what the famous people experience and what they can afford? Or have you become so superficial that you only care about what people look and what they dress like and their fashion and do you only care about how many followers people have? Man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so will you keep wrestling or will you surrender to Scripture? There comes a point where you have to say, enough is enough. You will stop entertaining these worldly thoughts. You will put an end to the arguing. And you will submit to the authority of Scripture. Do you see how Paul told Timothy to avoid irreverent babble? Talk that is godless, irreligious, profane, and worldly. I want you to think very critically now about the voices and people that you allow to speak into your life. Do your friends speak crudely or profanely and you know that it's not right? You know that you shouldn't be exposing yourself to their talk? Are there influencers who make their platform about berating and bullying people? In some of these cases, avoiding them isn't enough. You need to actually cut them out of your life. You need to do the hard work of eliminating sin from your life. False teachings will swerve you from the truth. They'll flip over your faith. False teachers, along with their thoughts and their ideas, will corrupt the church 
and lay waste to your faith. And so now that we looked at false teachers, we're going to switch over and we're going to compare and contrast them to faithful stewards. Faithful stewards. That's our second big point or second character profile that we're going to look at. Faithful stewards. Faced with the problem of false teachers, Paul gives us a solution now. Timothy is to stand against them by being a faithful steward. And we're going to see three different descriptions or characteristics or qualities of being faithful stewards. And the reason why, the reason why I'm saying faithful steward is because of this verse that Kevin actually went over in 2 Timothy. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You're supposed to guard it. You're supposed to take care of it. And the good deposit is the gospel. So you're supposed to be a caretaker, a keeper, or a steward of the gospel. We're supposed to use it wisely. We're supposed to keep it safe. Until Jesus comes back or until he takes us home to heaven, we all must be faithful stewards of the gospel of grace. The first characteristic or quality of a faithful steward of the gospel is to be a sanctified vessel. So you have point two, letter A, being a sanctified vessel. And this starts by examining an illustration. It's a picture of the church and how Christians are to be sanctified vessels. Read this with me. It says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There are gold and silver vessels, and then there are wood and clay vessels. Okay, Gold and silver, wood and clay. The gold and silver are for honorable use, and the wood and clay are for dishonorable use. Now, this analogy is easy to understand. We have honorable vessels that are made of gold and silver. We use them to serve food and drinks, and the dishonorable vessels are made of wood and clay, and we use those for things like waste and for taking out the trash. Do you have like clothes or shoes that you set apart as being special? That's what Paul has in mind here in this example. We're, we're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be special, used by God for, for good works. Now, doctrinal error and moral impurity are what Paul deems dishonorable. Okay, Moral impurity and doctrinal error. It's disgraceful. It's shameful. But if you are cleansed and set apart, and if you depart from iniquity, you prepare yourself to be a vessel Used by the master, bringing honor and value and respect to him and to every good work he would have you do. A worthy life is lived for Christ. A worthy life is lived for Christ. Look at what Paul says about dedicating your entire life and living it for Christ. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. And so he, Paul says, if I'm going to be here on earth, I'm going to give it all for Jesus. And if I die and I go to heaven, then, then that's okay. I'll be with my king. You see, for Paul, everything was about Jesus. From the moment he was saved, he dedicated his entire life to the Lord, ready and willing 
to deal with intense suffering and persecution. This was not pretense. Paul actually did give his life, and he died a martyr. But even in his death, he still found a way to give glory to God. He did not fear. He was not afraid. But he said, I will be with my King and my Savior, happy to be home in heaven. Are you prepared to be useful to God in this life on earth? Have you truly dedicated your entire life to Christ? Are you ready to work? Or do you make excuses? Are you wholly available to him? Or do you let things like academics and extracurricular activities get in the way of giving God your all? You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and your grades. You cannot serve God in school. You must have one master. Now, our church is blessed to have multiple activities throughout the week that you can come and and give more of yourself to God. So I encourage you now to come to prayer meeting, come to Unicoi on Friday nights. You need to prioritize God and you need to prioritize God's people. And once you have dedicated your entire life to God, are you ready to risk it all? Are you ready to put your reputation on the line, standing up for truth, knowing that you will not conform to this world? Will you confront those who continue to go against the truth of God's word? Are you willing to forsake your family and friends when they say that they want nothing to do with Christians? Or are you too comfortable? Maybe you've been too relaxed in regards to your own sin. Maybe you have allowed sin to crouch at your door and it's eager to control you. Will you do the hard work of cutting out certain movies or television shows or apps knowing that it's causing you to sin? Will you admit your sin to others and ask for accountability? Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Faithful stewards are sanctified vessels dedicated to God, and ready to risk it all. Point 2B, or the second characteristic or quality of a faithful steward, is to be a pure-hearted servant. A pure-hearted servant. And let me read you this verse here. 2 Timothy 2, 22-24. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So Paul tells Timothy to flee youthful passions. What exactly are these youthful passions? Now with the context of controversies and quarrels in mind, we can point the finger at watching our words. Watching our words. Maybe it's related to having a temper or complaining or gossip. Have you ever found yourself talking back to your parents or grumbling or being rude or even just putting down others? Uh, We're supposed to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, we can go over all these words, but the point is that they go along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so we're talking about being pure in heart, having a heart that's pure before God, undefiled and unstained by the world. Set your heart on God. Paul talked about this before 
in 1 Timothy 4.12. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in your speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You see, a pure-hearted way to serve others as opposed to the false teachers who only serve themselves. You are to watch your words and use them wisely. Let's go back to this again. Let's reread this. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, Notice how this is about having the character of Christ. Be kind, be patient, be gentle. And so do you have a genuine care, especially when it comes to correcting people? You can imagine how heated it must get. False teachers are evil. There are opponents, but they're ultimately snared by the devil. We don't correct people because we want to win an argument. We correct people because we want to win them for Christ. People are captured by Satan's lies, and the only way of escape is by the truth of God's word. That's why out of all these qualities, Paul still places the criteria of being able to teach. You know, it's using your words to instruct other people with the truth. But nevertheless, look at the importance of character when it comes to correcting others. But in your hearts, Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and do it with respect. We talked about fleeing youthful passions, and I want to highlight how it says to pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart along with those who call on the Lord. That means to do it with others. That means to pursue these things in community. A tendency for young people is to think that you're always right. Now, it's good to want to be right, and it's good to want to pursue the truth, but you need to do it in the context of community. You belong with other believers. And so... I want to give an encouragement to you that are here right now in in worship service, and especially to those of you who come to Sunday school, especially to those of you who come to my Sunday school. I know that you can be spending your Sunday mornings doing other things. I know that you can be sleeping in. I know that you can be studying. But I want to encourage you to keep coming, keep spending time in the context of community with other believers Keep coming to church. Don't forsake meeting together. Spur each other on. We are privileged to be part of a multi-generational church. There are older, wiser saints that we can learn from, and there are also younger children in the Lord that we can serve. The family of God, we stay together. And so after that encouragement, I want to also give you a challenge. Do you serve God and others with a pure heart? And so let's start at home. Are you willing to serve your family? Will you help around the house? 
Or do you complain when you're asked to do chores? These are simple things, but you can do them for God. How about at church? You know, there's a way for you to serve at church that, that actually serves yourself. And there's a way that you can serve to make yourself look good and to make yourself look better than other people. And so are you, are you able to serve and do things even when people aren't looking? Are you able to serve even when you're not on the stage? Uh, here's one. Do you welcome the newcomer? Will you reach out to someone who had a rough week? And then what about at school in your community? Uh, is your disposition to be kind and loving to others? Or are you cutthroat in competition? I want to encourage you to help those who are struggling in school. That, that's the character of Christ, to help other people. A heart broken before the Lord is a heart that breaks for others. Faithful stewards are pure-hearted servants, genuinely caring for others while displaying the character of Christ. Our third and final characteristic or quality of a person who is a faithful steward of the gospel is that they are skilled workers. Skilled workers. I'm going to take us back to the top of our passage, the part that we skipped over for a second. And this is where Paul exhorts Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul tells Timothy, give everything that you got so that when you stand before God, he approves of your work. You want to hear God say, well done. You want to present your work proudly. Have you ever had a paper or a project where you knew that you did a good job? You, you knew you were going to get an A? That's what Paul has in mind here. When you stand before God in heaven, you want to present your life to him, unashamed of your work, knowing that you did your best, that you did a good job. This is what it means to be unashamed. And what exactly does a worker do? Look, this worker rightly handles the word of truth. It's a craftsman, someone who cuts straight, who sets forth God's word without distortion. The skilled worker rightly handles scripture with accuracy, boldness, and clarity. It's particularly important for you to see that some of Paul's last words some of his final words in his entire life, the thing that he wants us to remember, it echoes the words of Christ. Uh, this is what Jesus says when he gave us his great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, earlier in our study, we saw that God's pure-hearted servant must be able to teach, skilled at instructing. And while all Christians should be good at sharing, there is a particular distinct power that comes with being a pastor, someone who's supposed to teach us God's word, someone who's supposed to instruct us. Pastors are primarily teachers. They shepherd with scripture. They guide you. With God's word. They're competent, they're careful, and they're caring, and they don't miss the point of the entire Bible. 
pointing us to Jesus. Let's start with an easy application. Do you even care about God's word? Uh, This is the one weapon that you have to fight against Satan and all the false teachers and the lies of this world, the sword of the spirit, the word of truth. You need to read your Bible. Now, maybe the concept of reading the entire Bible is intimidating. If you don't know where to begin, start by going through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll get a clear picture of Jesus. That's what the entire point of the Gospels is about, spending time with our Savior. And then after that, you can read through Paul's letters to the churches in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Those are super short, and they're, they're primarily instructions teaching us how we're supposed to live in this world as Christians. You start there, and then you can sink your teeth into the Old Testament. If you're a worship leader, or if you serve on stage in any capacity, soak yourself in the Psalms. And if you want to meet strong women of the faith, go to Ruth and go to Esther. See how they are great and godly examples for all of us to follow. If you really want to build some spiritual muscle, you go to Romans and you go to Hebrews, Daniel, and Isaiah. And once you have settled that you care enough to actually read God's word, you have to ask yourself, do you care to get it right? Do you care to have correct interpretation? Do you seek to apply God's word to your life? Can you lead and instruct others in your small group? We all have to start somewhere. So I encourage you to grab a study Bible, read the study notes, read all the different articles that are in there, You can learn a lot. Read the cross-references. Start memorizing, meditating, making connections with God's words. Listen to sermons. And I want you to see how they're structured. Is there a point? Do they flow? Is there a logical flow and train of thought? And when you go to your small groups, don't settle for mediocrity. Ask good questions. Challenge each other. Take the Bible to task. God's word will not return empty. Faithful stewards are skilled workers laboring with the law of the Lord, leading others to Jesus. God gave us three ways that faithful stewards are supposed to guard against false teachers. It's by being sanctified vessels. It's by being pure-hearted servants. It's by being skilled workers. This is our big idea. God calls faithful stewards to guard against false teachers. Faithful stewards are called to be shepherds, guarding God's sheep, protecting the flock. He summons his shepherds, strategically placing them in the church with a standard to hold. By being sanctified vessels, pure-hearted servants, and skilled workers, God calls faithful stewards to guard against false teachers. To prevent our stewardship from turning into pride, it's important that we look to Jesus, our chief shepherd. He was headed for the cross, and he wanted to teach his disciples one last lesson. Look at this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. The true teacher, 
The good teacher is a servant. He serves his students. Jesus is washing the dirty feet of his disciples, setting an example of humble service. But he was also teaching them that they had to be clean. They needed to be washed by his blood. The same lesson applies to you today. You need to be washed by the blood of Jesus. You need Christ to make you clean. Your sins can be forgiven. This is the greatest lesson that anyone can ever learn. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose to life again, you will be saved. You will experience true and full life today, and you will have a home with him in heaven. The blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we sometimes see false teachings in the thoughts and the ideas of our own hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, but God has the cure to our own gangrenous hearts. We can break away from our bondage. We can escape from the dungeons of our own devices. We can flee from false teachers and false teachings. Continue to look to the Lamb of God. Here are several applications. They're broad and they're generic, uh, but they are from our text today. Start by appreciating your pastors. After seeing what we've learned in our passage, it would be wrong to not show appreciation and to give thanks to God for our pastors. Now, it's easy to say appreciate them, but I'm going to give you something super practical. My family, we pray for our pastors every Tuesday. Here's some inside baseball for you. On Tuesdays, that's when the pastors have their staff meetings. They all meet together, and they go over the week, and they plan for the upcoming services and upcoming ministry endeavors. So I encourage you on Tuesdays to pray for your pastors on this pretty important day throughout the week. That's an easy way for you to show that that you care about them, and God will honor your prayers. He will not let them go without an answer. Take time to pray for them as they plan and prepare to lead God's people. Next, arm yourself with truth. Arm yourself with truth. Commit to coming to church, but also keep your heart and mind engaged with the truth of God's word throughout the week. Now, our church, FCBC Walnut, I'm actually the social media officer here. And so if you go on our website and if you look at our social media, you'll find a lot of resources that we provide for you. All of our sermons are online, so you don't just have to listen to what you hear here. You can hear from our other pastors and leaders. And you can also find podcasts and articles that you can read and listen to throughout the week. So you stay engaged. The internet can be an incredible tool to force yourself forward in your faith. Finally, assess for false teachings 
and faulty worldviews, constantly be on guard for creeping thoughts and slippery ideas that come into your life. Think about the messages and the meanings behind your favorite shows and movies. Train your mind to see what the news is actually communicating. Everyone has an agenda. Commercials, ads, sponsored posts, they're all speaking into your life and they will pollute your mind. They will poison your heart. Nothing is neutral. There is dark and there is light. Paul left us with this warning so that we would pay attention. We've all heard scary stories about pastors and leaders who have crept into the church, corrupting people with their poisonous thoughts and ideas. They've led people astray. They abuse their power. They tear churches apart and they cause Christians to stumble. How can we protect ourselves from false teachers? And how can we guard our hearts against the toxic thoughts and ideas of this world? God is not caught off guard. God is not scared or worried. God has given faithful stewards to guard against false teachers. No false teacher thought or idea will be able to snatch you out of the sovereign, saving hand of Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve, they failed in the garden. They got trapped by the serpent. They were deceived. They were unable to correct their opponent. But there is a better teacher. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert, Satan took Jesus on top of the temple and he said, Hey, Jesus, throw yourself down from here. Throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. If you're the son of God, if you really are God incarnate, if you really have all this power, do it. Demonstrate it. See what happens. The angels are going to catch you if you do it, right? Prove yourself. You see, Satan was quoting Psalm 91, the angels will save you. But if you actually go back and you read Psalm 91, Satan was misusing scripture. He was twisting it. He was taking it out of context. He misused it to manipulate Jesus. But our Lord, he did not lose. Jesus does not fail. He guards against false teaching by rightly handling the word of truth. This is what Jesus says. Jesus correctly quotes Deuteronomy 6. And he says, Satan, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Don't test God. That's not right. Satan, the first false teacher, is checkmated by the master. Jesus, Jesus is more than just a good teacher. Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is knowledge. Jesus is the truth. And if you know Jesus, if you know the Son of God, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's pray.
This is a poem that I wrote for you guys. What a privilege it is to have the Word of God. It softens heart and hearts, renews our minds and thoughts. Like a tree that's planted by living water streams, the man who loves the law is blessed, unwavering. It's living and it's active and sharper than a sword. It leads us when we stray and guides us back on course. Reflecting like a mirror, it shows us of our sin, revealing and exposing the wickedness within. But if we're found despairing, with broken hearts contrite, his word is reassuring, our God will not despise. You'll find a risen savior, a teacher, and a king. His words are everlasting. Children, taste and see.